You are listening to Farm and Fiddle, the podcast that celebrates and explores rural life for today and tomorrow. Every week since June 1999, we have brought you the best voices in sustainable agriculture on Mid-Missouri's KOPN 89.5 FM. This is Rhett Hartman. I'm Margot McMillan. Thanks for listening. And we're talking to Dan Kibler of the Salad Garden and Garrett Fosse. And we're talking about a new project that they're starting this year in the growing of hemp. Tell us what you guys are doing, what your new project is, and just kind of let us know how this... Uh, I'll start it a little bit, and then okay. Garrett will chime in. Great. Um, the Valley Garden here, as you know, this is like its 30th year of operation um, out here. And in the last couple of years, my energy has been kind of like, eh, I don't want to do what I did 30 years ago. <laughs> and uh, so I was trying to find a way to transition the farm. And um, so I didn't think much about him. Uh, even though my wife was encouraging me to consider looking into it. Uh, but last year, a year ago in January at our MOA conference in Kansas City or Independence, we had a lot of, we had a, a day of uh, some speakers from the outside world, like Oregon, talk about hemp. Mm-hmm. And I sat in on one of them and it was like, hmm, this sounds interesting. This might be something that I could also add to the farm mm-hmm. you know, along with and, and also get some younger folks involved. Mm-hmm. And, uh, well, I ran into Garrett there at, right at the end of the conference, and we got to talking. And we had a lot of the same ideas in terms of, like, uh, a system that's more like permaculture, agroforestry, a combination of perennials, annuals, vegetables, uh, native plants, pollinators, and hemp. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, because we really felt that that would really make a strong system that's much more natural. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of really, in a short way, how it started. Mm-hmm. And then it's, it's been a, over a year for me to kind of really understand this plant. Oh, sure. <laughs> yeah. I really with it. Yeah. And so it's a long learning curve. At first I thought, well, it's just like starting tomato plants. Yeah. 
growth side of the industry to see how to scale up operations and uh, really turn this into something that people can rely on. And that's whenever Dan and I got to talking, you know, I, I really quickly picked up that this is somebody I could work with, somebody uh-huh. that uh, was adaptable and very quickly and, and, and very intelligent and could pallet the information and, uh, and was willing to trust where we were going with it. Uh-huh. Uh, so... Now we're focused more on the idea of utilizing hemp as a proprietary cash crop in silvopasture, utilizing small amounts of uh, livestock to uh, create uh, nutrient density within our infrastructure and doing rotational grazing patterns with our rotational annual vegetable crops with our native perennial crops that are around the perimeters of all of our crops to uh, help with pest control, and so on and so forth. Uh, what we're doing now is we are uh, going to be focusing on what would be considered a smokable flower market and a, a boutique uh, oil market where we are taking and extracting through uh, physical extraction uh, with a solventless physical extraction through distillation uh, to create a what would be considered a naturopathic or a homeopathic product um, that is derived from a hemp plant, which has a number of different phytocannabinoids. All those different phytocannabinoids have a medical purpose. Uh, what they are exactly to date is still being discovered because the simple fact that uh, cannabis as a whole was more or less eradicated from our agricultural systems nearly 80 years ago. Mm-hmm. And in doing that, I would say we probably uh, deprived ourselves of certain nutrients that we're now learning have value. Uh, a plus for us, or at least we feel it is, is because I've been organic all these years, that the industry is really looking for uh, a clean product. Mm-hmm. And as you know, uh, the health of cannabis plants can really pick up a lot of uh, pesticides, herbicides, which is in the soil, mm-hmm. and that would end up, of course, you know, in, in the end product. And so we, ha- we feel we can do a superior product out here with what we've built up through the years. But we are expanding. We're, we're making more permanent beds. Yes. Uh, so uh, we're, adding, we're adding more to the operation in terms of acreage um, that's just been in pasture on a hillside to gentle hillsides than we have over 30 years. Well, I always grew on the top of the ridge. So we're making some changes. Yeah, we're, we're trying to utilize many different uh, templates from different types of permaculture and agriculture that would be considered resilient ag and utilize them in on Dan's property here. You know, Dan's been certified organic and has been organic for years, and there's never been any sprays on this property. And it was, from what I understand, originally a pasture that was developed for cattle uh, around the late 1800s. And so the property really is... Uh, super dense with life, micro life. And when I saw it and whenever Dan and I talked about it, you know, it's funny, I, I saw Dan just using the top of the ridge and I said, well, what about terraces? What about swales? What about using everything here? And he's like, well, why, what do you mean? And where I'm, where I've done most of my uh, agriculture would have been on the West Coast. Most of what we grow on in the regions where I was growing uh, were mountainside. So mm. you had to do terrace gardening. You had to utilize spaces that didn't necessarily always make sense to everybody else. But through doing that, we really...
nutrients mm-hmm. uh, through composting teas, beneficial microbes, uh, compost, compost, and, and using localized microbes that will help uh, essentially um, disguise the plants themselves within the native uh, microbial structure here. Uh, and, and doing that, that makes it to where bugs are uh, less attracted, or that we'll, we'll say it, pest bugs are less attracted, and predators are more attracted. So we're creating a natural ecosystem more so that can support life uh, and continue to. Uh, yeah. And this will yeah. th- this will take time. I mean, yeah. we're talking here about the big vision, but. You know, we're really, uh, right now, the last month of all this rain and everything, yeah. uh, we're just really feeling like, uh-oh, but we can't <laughs> get out there to finish our bed. Yeah. Uh, it's so wet. And, uh, and it's like, oh, goodness. Now, thankfully, we've got tall tunnels. Yeah. We've got three, and we're adding another one, and maybe even an extension of another one. And so we hope to be able to kind of, we can't get in and out of the field. This is where we're going to start. Uh-huh. Yes. And, and we'll still get plenty out of those tunnels. You know, the, the fields are a long-term project. The tunnels yeah. are what we use for succession so that we can have fresh products all of the time uh, and have a little bit more control over what we're doing inside of this environment. Yeah, mention a little bit more, if you would, Garrett, about, because as a vegetable grower, it's kind of like, yeah, you do succession growing sometimes because you've got time. Right. You know, but typically around here, tomatoes are planted one time, and that's it. Right. So so my background is you you, you pinch a penny into a 100-foot gold wire. And, and that's in the succession world, with hemp and or cannabis, you can do rotation inside of those spaces doing light deprivation. So you, what you're doing is you're... Uh, you're changing the photo period, uh, the photosynthesis period of the plant. And through doing that, we can get multiple crops within a year uh, in the field and in greenhouse. Uh, more to, and, and it's, with those greenhouses, that gives us the ability to test more strains, cultivars, uh, phenotypes, genomes, whatever that is, and utilize different types of controls within those spaces that can give us different results. So we've really got a lot of different directions we can go utilizing all these different greenhouses and sectioning off those different You are listening to KOPN 89.5 FM, Columbia, Missouri. This is Farm and Fiddle, and I'm Margot McMillan. We are talking to Dan Kibler and Garrett Fosse from the Salad Garden in Boone County. And we're talking about their new project, which is growing hemp here in mid-Missouri. Uh-huh. 
Okay, so I, I'm trying to get a vision. You know, unfortunately, I have not been to your farm, Dan, and I'm I'm feeling really sad that I haven't been there before. But I've been to yours several times. I know. <laughs> I know. We should have we should have swapped before before this. But so I'm visioning that that you have some hilly spaces and that you guys are going to actually terrace them and um, that you'll be growing. So your fields will be like, what, an acre or something on a on a terrace? Tell me how many. We will be farming uh, about three acres, give or take a little bit, mm -hmm. uh, this year uh, in terraced gardens hmm. uh, with the hill itself. Uh, so essentially the pasture that exists here was on two hill mounds, and then they have two goalies in between each of those hill mounds. Mm -hmm. And a low point where uh, cattle used to graze down in the low pasture. Mm -hmm. uh, up on those two hills, there was what it looks like was a clear cut at one point in time, uh, long ago, to set it up for pasture. Mm -hmm. those, pa those pastures are uh, east and west in length, mm -hmm. and have very open south-facing uh, sunlight. So what we've done is we've taken the tops of those mounds and we have created uh, what would be considered around like a 0 to 2% grade in mm -hmm. terrace on, uh, on about a 14-foot wide terrace and or swale that gives us the ability to slow down water flow, gives us the ability to create deeper water cultures with the microbe structures and to continue to recycle more of our nutrients as we continue to uh, amend all of that different soil. Ah, okay. So you'll be putting in something like, you know, those um, daikon radishes or something to, to oh, yeah, sure. deepen the. Uh huh. Okay. Yeah. yeah so we, we will we will be using a different a number of different rotational uh, planting arrangements with plants. We we have not gotten to do as much of it this year just because we have been focused on setting up all of our infrastructure, doing all of what would be our overlay. Uh -huh. So essentially, doing the groundwork setting our base up. This winter, we will be doing a planting of different uh, cover crops, daikon being one of them, and a number of other cover crops that are pest-resistant crops uh, and or nitrogen-fixing crops, uh, phosphorus, potassium, so on and so forth. Uh, but those rooters are great for aerators, mm -hmm. and and we're, we'll be utilizing more of like what would be considered a three sisters concept uh, from uh, what the Native Americans did. Uh, and kind of putting that on its head as many different directions we can. Mm -hmm. So, so basically, when you're thinking of um, several levels of of growing, so you've got your really low yeah. plants and your taller plants, and maybe a vine or yeah. two in there. Oh, that's wonderful. Okay, I, I kind of got a vision here. You know, we haven't really said what hemp is. And maybe we should have started with that. Um, okay. So if you guys could just do a little bit on that. We'll let, we'll let Garrett take that. Uh, he's the, the mad scientist in the hemp world. Okay. <laughs> I, I, I don't know about mad scientists. I, just, I, I know enough to get myself in trouble. Uh-oh. But essentially, um, hemp is a cannabis plant. Uh, so you have a medical cannabis plant that has been uh, bred, interbred, to be really high in THC, right? Well, THC isn't exactly a, it can be used medicinally in a lot of different ways, but the real medicine is actually all the other cannabinoids. And I'm just going to break in here real quickly to spell the word cannabinoid, 
C-A-N-N-A-B-I-N-O-I-D. That's so that you can go home and Google it. That is a low THC plant that can have very high levels of uh, cannabinoids. Um, those different cannabinoids, terpenes, mycerine, all these different compounds are what is uh, considered medicine. Then you also have all of the different proteins and fats that come from the plant as well. So a hemp plant uh, is it has the ability to be used for different purposes. Uh, right now, what is happening with this plant specifically and why it has such hype is we're taking it and growing uh, a, what would be considered a flower, and then that flower is being extracted. And then through that extraction, they are getting rid of all of the chlorophyll and the carcinogen and are taking what would be considered the essence of the plant and turning that into a tincture. Uh, and those tinctures can, or that, that oil can be turned into a number of different things. Then you also have the, the other side of the industrial markets, which are the composites, the fibers, and the nutritional supplements that can be made from this plant. So you're talking about a plant that has omegas that are similar to what would be an oat. You're also talking about a plant that has an R factor of like above 20. Uh, and you're talking about a plant that is mold resistant, it's pest resistant, it's regenerative, it grows at a rate that is, uh, I, I think, one acre can produce in, or four acres can produce in one year what uh, 40 acres of trees can produce in 10 years per huh. acre. So, and, and, and again, the sky is really the limit. So there's a lot of different things that are happening with this plant right now. And it, it, I would compare it kind of to like a bamboo and corn together. If you put those two plants together, they would be very similar to each other. The difference is, is this plant doesn't like really wet feet. So it wants, it, it wants to be fed. It wants water. It wants nutrients. But it wants to dry out quickly because it's a plant that grows on the perimeters of fields pasture field, and woodland mountainous region. Okay, so similar actually very to, to where we are now. Uh, there are a number of, of strains that are more or less indicative to this area at this point that were brought in in the 1800s uh, from India. And they at, the, at one point in time, this region was uh, considered the third largest producer of hemp in the United States. And I don't know what the, that comparison is to the world, but I know it was very competitive at one point in time here. Um, and the composite markets that are being developed from it is kind of what the future is going to be. So imagine a plant that can produce plastics uh, that continues to regenerate quickly and can be molded into nearly anything. They're 3D printing with this stuff now, too. So, huh. the, you know, the, really, again, the, the sky's the limit with where this plant can go. Uh-huh. It's yeah, so here, here in Missouri, you know, like, uh, we have some friends down uh, on the Missouri River bottom at Chamoy. Yeah. Uh-huh. And uh, that's kind of, I grew up around that area. Uh-huh. I grew up in Herman, but all along there. And a number of those, of course, as you know, are, Argo, the corn and soybean growers, aren't doing so well. Uh-huh, right. So they're really starting to uh, get interested in hemp. Because I think in the future, I don't know how many years it will take, you're going to be seeing some big fields of, of hemp yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. for fiber and other things. And so it can be a new crop for uh, farmers. Uh, so they're exploring 
because they are trying to get rid of tobacco, the tobacco industry. There's good tobacco, there's bad tobacco, and this is another industry that's very similar. Uh, there's plenty of good hemp and there's plenty of really bad hemp. And so what's happening is you have farmers that are growing this stuff uh, still commercially and are using pesticides and are using all kinds of things, and they can't sell their product uh, because you have guys that, and gals that have came from the cannabis industry that were very good at what they did and decided they wanted to transition and are creating a really high-end product. Uh, I, I would still say only about 10% of that market is, is what I would consider high-end. The other 90% are, are growing it because they're, they're trying to make money. Uh, and they don't necessarily know what it is or know a whole lot about it, and they're farming it just like everything else. And and that's going to continue to happen, I would think. But I would say that the markets are going to continue for the boutique area to uh, emerge uh, with a higher quality product all the time. Um, the Again, the East Coast is exploding with the smokable flour because they can turn it into a cigarette, and they're going to replace Tobacco. Well, the other thing, let me just ask a question. Um, is, the, is this not a cancer-producing smoking cigarette? How does, how does it differ from tobacco? How is it not going to have the same problems? Well, first off, it's not. a lot of people that are putting together those kinds of contracts, they understand this plant, actually, believe it or not. And they know that this plant, you, you if you grow it with a bunch of chemicals, it's the same thing as a cigarette. Ah. Same thing as smoking tobacco and a cigarette. If you're growing it organically, yes, there are still carcinogens. Yes, there is still tar. But you're now growing an organic product. You're not spraying it with a bunch of pesticides. It mm. doesn't have arsenic sprayed all over it. It doesn't have uh, formaldehyde sprayed all over it. There's a lot of different reasons why the market is moving that direction. Um, to answer your question, I, I wouldn't say that this is a cancer-producing thing. I definitely would say that if you're looking at this for a medicinal factor, smoking anything is not going to be good for you, <laughs> period, point blank. <laughs> Ingesting this product, if you're really looking for true med medical benefits, eat the tincture. Mm -hmm. it, it really does have real benefit. Mm -hmm. This is a new thing. This is a – we're – at one point in time, this was a, a moral issue. Uh, and that was because it was a legal issue. Now it's not a legal issue. So now the whole moral issue is changing. The concept on, on that is changing. Mm. And we have an endocannabinoid system inside of our body, which is interesting because this is a plant that we have. It, it's because it was known as the traveler's seed uh, and because it was a plant that went with people across the planet. Uh, they have origined it to... Uh, China uh, about 28 million years ago and ever since then we're not sure where it continues to pop up. It just popped up everywhere. Uh, but the reason that a cannabinoid is what it is is because we have grown with this plant. As we've grown with this plant, we've ingested it in many different forms. Through that, we have evolved with it as it has evolved with us. Therein, we have cannabinoid receptors. Those cannabinoid receptors uh, essentially, I think we have somewhere in the whereabouts of over 200 that we know of, cannabinoids, hmm. uh, and we have receptors for all of them. Hmm. Uh, THC would be considered a cannabinoid, but there are different types of THC. You have THCA, THCVA, you have THC Delta 9, THC Delta 8, and then you have your CBD, CBDA, CBDA1, CBD2, uh, 
okay? Mm-hmm. The, the process of a cannabinoid becoming THC is a process that happens through aging, through degeneration, and through uh, maturation, okay? They're, and then what they've done with the plant is they have edited it where they have continued to crossbreed it to where there's no THC left in it or very, very small residual amounts. Now, a real medical dosage plant would be about actually a four-to-one ratio, so the four parts cannabinoid, one part THC, and whether that's THCA, THCBA, or THC delta-9, THC delta-8, uh, delta or THCP. So, and, and, and that's, a, that's what I would call a real medical dosage. That's what I, we've been, you know, speaking amongst people. However, the government has its regulation, mm-hmm. so it's, it's on, it's, it's per state. Uh-huh. That, you know, again, you have to educate yourself on that. Yeah. Uh, the cannabinoid itself, why it got that name, I'm not familiar with. Well, you know, it, it seems like the per state piece is, is important. I think, you know, Missouri has just passed a law, was it last year or the year before? Um, 2018. 2018. 2018. Okay. Um, so what, what do you see going on, going forward, that will change the market and make it more friendly to folks who are growing hemp? Mm. Or, do you, or do you think it's, it's cool right now? I think that the, I think the market's great. I think that there. Here's here's what I'll say about growing hemp. First off, it's not for the faint of heart. This is a very very labor intensive crop. Not to mention, it is not cheap to do, um, and it's risky. It could go hot. Yeah. So that's the other thing. So right now, there's not a lot of super stabilized genetics that are available to the mass market to grow that would be considered compliant. Mm-hmm. Um, and for people that are grown, that, that aren't educated, they're not going to know the questions to ask to know whether or not it's compliant. Mm-hmm. And even if they do, they've had to, have, I would say, have real market experience to even know, like, I can still get duped. I've been in the market for over 10 years. I've been studying this since I was 14 years old. I'm 28 now. So I still have issues being in the market because it isn't super friendly to the uh, cultivator, mm-hmm. uh, and and kind of for a reason, you're talking about breeders that came from the underground that were doing what they were passionate about, felt very strongly about, uh, and now they're being told what they were doing was really cool mm-hmm. while they were being persecuted for it for years. So the, what's happened is you have all those people that have trauma that are coming into this new, what we'll call white market, that are shifting. They're, they're adjusting their thinking patterns. And so I would say that paradigm shift is still going to take a couple of years to be really friendly. Uh-huh. Um, and, and that's where, you know, for most people that want to get into the market right now, this year in Missouri, I would say that if you're not educated about it and you haven't been studying this for at least a year, don't. You're going to lose a lot of money. Uh-huh. And, don't bet the family farm on it. And there are a ton of people that are going to try to grow 100-plus acres here in Missouri because we have plenty of land that is available that can grow at that scale. Mm-hmm. We're not growing that scale. I've been growing for over 10 years. Yeah. So it's a great product. It's a great market to be in if you 
know what you're doing. Mm-hmm. If you don't, watch and learn. Mm-hmm. Support your local farmer. So uh, I guess we're just about, we're kind of getting low on time. Um, I wanted to ask, Dan, are you going to continue with your other projects through this year? Like, I'm particularly going to miss the sauerkraut if you don't have that going. <laughs> No, we're still doing that. Okay. <laughs> Actually, I've uh, got uh, some transplants uh, here in the greenhouse as we speak, you know, cabbage, daikon, napa cabbage, you know, so mm-hmm. I'm going to continue to do that. Uh, again, uh, I'm trying to transition so that uh, I can turn that over to some uh, next generation. Uh, ah. Mm-hmm. You, that, that's the big thing about this whole operation. We're still feeding ourselves. We're mm-hmm. still doing permaculture. We're still doing everything Dan was doing. Hopefully, we'll be able to do more as time goes on. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're, again, we have multiple year projections. We have multiple. We have a, a five year plan. was an interview with Dan Kibler and Garrett Fosse. And it's time for the chore of the week. You know, this is a great time of year to start those seeds. It's it's kind of cold and chilly and damp, and that's exactly the kind of weather that you should be in the basement starting those seeds. They don't need light. They've got plenty of nutrition within the seed to get them sprouted. But as soon as they come up, you're going to want to put a little compost on there, probably put a light on them, or maybe it'll be sunny. And we will have another chore for you next week. Thanks for listening. And the music we've been hearing today is Curly Hardiman, and it's from a really old tape recording that that we've had kicking around the house here, and all it has is Curly's name. I don't know who those backup musicians are, but boy, that guitar and that banjo, they are really something else. This is Farm and Fiddle, and thanks you guys for listening. We'll see you next week.